Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross. It was a it was a perilous time. It was a time that Jesus warned his disciples about that would come, this time would come, but they did not understand. Their faith was going to be challenged in a way that had not been challenged before. This time was a time when it was no longer a time to be popular with Jesus. There was no one following him at this time. The government was against him. The favor of the people seemed to have somehow vanished. There was intolerance, and now it had just gone to all-out war. They had taken Jesus from judgment hall to judgment hall. They had beaten him till he was unrecognizable. They had nailed his hands and stretched him wide on a cross until the sun got so embarrassed it refused to shine, until the ground became so nervous it began to shake. One writer wrote that graves opened up all over Jerusalem that once those were dead actually started to walk around among the people. The curtain in the temple was torn, and even his closest disciples were tormented in thought and heart. And thinking as Christ was on this cross dying, was he really who he said he was? They ran. They were perplexed. They were jobless. They were lonely. They were uncertain. It was a dark time, and the day after Friday, Saturday, it was a dark day indeed. Etched into their memory was the pain of every beating Jesus had took. It struck their faith so hard. As the scripture said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Jesus was removed from the cross, his body torn, rigor mortis. He was wrapped. Jesus, who was sick, healed the sick, who raised the dead, who turned water into wine, who stood on the Mount of Transfiguration and opened the very heavens. Now he was gone. His mother, who was there, who nursed him at her breast, was now a witness to her son's horrific death and now nursing his dead frame in her arms. People scattered. Judas went and hung himself in a field. Thomas ran out doubting. Peter had already cursed people out a few days before and lied about even knowing Jesus. Tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And yet the disciples, Jesus' followers, had seen Jesus raise people from the dead before. I mean, he walked into the town of Nain in Luke 7, seeing a mother whose only child had died, he walks up to the coffin, puts his hand on it, tells the dead child to raise, and hands this child back to her mother again. Jesus had stood outside the tomb of Lazarus, who was dead three days, and called out, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus came out still wrapped in his grave clothes. They had seen Jesus raise other people from the dead, but the one who raised others from the dead was now dead himself. They felt hopeless, lifeless, and fearful and lost. Early Sunday morning, before the dew had settled on the ground, before the sun had fully risen, the women of that town, the women of that town were going to anoint his body with oil. I just want to stop there for a moment. Did you notice the women? There were no men there. Now, I know there are a lot of traditions there, but isn't it interesting? I've traveled around the nation many years. 
And I've gone to churches that have got four or 500 people flourishing with every awesome thing you could imagine. And I've been to churches that have five, 10 people. And the people that remain when a church is at its least are the women praying diligently, anointing that house with oil, believing life can come again. The woman of this town went to anoint his body with oil, fragrant spices that the stench of the decay of his body might not offend the legacy of his life lived. They were shocked that when they went there, the stone that sealed the tomb had been rolled away. The body missing, the garment covering his body was neatly folded and laid where his body once was. There were people in the Old Testament who rose from death, but they rose to die again. But this Jesus rose up to never die again. And out of that mouth of an angel spoke these words to these ladies. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why? For he has risen. He has risen. Father God, I just pray over this room right now. I don't think people have come just to listen to a message this morning. Oh, yes, we've come to listen to the Sunday message. Eat some hot cross buns. No, we've come to be infused with power from on high. Come on. This isn't... (laughs) We're not messing around here. There is a heaven, there is a hell. You call it whatever you want. I guess I can't change your theology if you've got a different view, but my Bible, Jesus spoke of this place. The Bible says that on Friday night that he went to Sheol. And there's a lot of commentators that said, what did he do? He actually went into the prison places where they were kept. Between Friday night and Sunday morning, Jesus wasn't sitting up in heaven watching Netflix. He's begun his work in a whole new way. Oh. The Spirit (laughs) poured out. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, I pray over today, this message, I pray your passion emerges in our lives, that today marks a beginning point again. I feel there have been people that still haven't broken out of Christmas yet. There's something like, I can't get my head around the new year. Well, I break that in Jesus' name and declare, stop looking for the life and dead things. There is only one who gives life, and that is Christ. And I release Christ on you this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give the band a hand this morning. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Just one guitar, one voice, or two voices, but you know, just the presence in that place. The presence. Yeah, sorry, George. When I meant one voice, I meant you. Sorry, yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Hey, um, that, was, that was just beautiful worship. Beautiful worship. And, um, um, hey, we have actually got hot cross buns out there today, by the way. So I'm not, not, not completely not about hot cross buns. Yes, there are. Yes. Are there any Easter eggs? <laughs> yes, there are. There are. There's an abundance of them because I wasn't sure who was going to be here today. So fill your pockets and uh, take them away. It's all good. Hot cross buns. I actually, actually, I had years ago when I was a kid. We used to have um, Afghan hounds. You know what Afghan hounds are? They're like those 
big long-haired dogs. Yeah. Well, one day I went to my bedroom, and um, I had hidden all my Easter eggs under my bed. Yeah, I went to find them. They were all gone, the whole lot. I thought my sister had flogged them, so I was going to go in and give her a piece of my mind. And, um, and, um, and she, didn't, she didn't have them. I found out later on that day by the mess left by the house through the back end of our dog that it was actually our dog, my dog had eaten all my Easter eggs. <laughs> the whole lot. And the tinfoil. And there was this horrible mess all over the house. So moral of that story is don't hide your Easter eggs under your bed. <laughs> Bit of good advice for you. Don't hide your Easter eggs under the bed. You know, um, hey, I think, um, I think we should get into the message, don't you? Cool. I think we should get into the message. Bring it, bring it, bring it. Hey, did you know that every date in history, every date in history, even your birthday, um, is using Jesus as the focal point? Did you know that? Every date in history, every important date, even your birthday, is using Jesus as the focal point. When you write 2023 and 2024 and 2025, what's it written from? It's written from when Jesus rose again. When I was born in 1972, that year I was born was 1972 years since Jesus rose again. Does that make sense? So when you write, when an atheist who says, I don't really believe Jesus while they're writing out their birth date, or whatever, they're declaring by the very date they're writing that that is Jesus' birthday. That is his day. 2023 is the 2000. And 23 years ago, Jesus rose again. Jesus split the timeline. Everything that before Jesus was BC, everything that's after Jesus is AD. He split the timeline. No other person has done this. Now, at the cross, at the cross of Christ, Jesus did a number of things. One of those things was, there were three things I want to just mention. First thing was he confirmed his identity. In Jesus' time, there were a lot of people claiming they were God or from God. Did you know that? It wasn't uncommon in Jesus' time to say that you were God. There were a number of people, many, that had risen up saying they were either God or they were a prophet from God or they, it was quite common. But Jesus proved that he was who he said he was by his resurrection. He allowed himself to be killed on a cross and three days later rose again. He walked around Jerusalem for 40 days. He didn't just hang out for a couple. It was 40 days he walked around Jerusalem. Can you imagine being the guard who poked the spear in his side to check that he was dead? Can you imagine being the one who ripped out his beard or rammed that, that, that crown of thorns on his head and then you wandering through town eating your unleavened bread or whatever they ate in those days and say, that's the guy we killed like three days ago. Isn't that the guy we killed? See, Jesus also proved something else in his death and resurrection. He proved that there was actually life after death. He proved that there was life after death. Because Jesus' death and burial and resurrection also gave us something else, which I want to preach on today. This whole message, this whole story of Jesus gave us a very interesting picture of how you'd live your life. Because in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, it gave us a model of how we are to handle pain in our life. How we are to handle pain in our life. I don't know if you can read that quite. Oh, no, that's all good. Let me read this out. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to you, 
for you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Jesus showed us through his death and his resurrection how we're to live life. When you go through pain, doubt, depression, loss, we're to follow the model that Jesus demonstrated. His death, his burial, his resurrection, it happened over three days. Friday, suffering, agony, and death. Saturday, confusion, doubt, and grief. Sunday, hope, and celebration. In your life, you are going to go through those three days, sometimes quite repeatedly. Has anyone found, discovered life isn't easy? No, you haven't even discovered that, yeah. yeah. I mean, I could preach a really nice ear-tickling message for you this morning. Or I could declare to you what you're probably going to be. Jesus said in this life, you'll have what? Trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Doesn't mean I have a theology of suffering. No, no, no. But I have a theology that although suffering comes, overcoming is what I'm getting toward. You know, this means, this is what it means to bear his cross. Sometimes, right now, there might be people in the Friday of their life in this room. Maybe you're here today in suffering, agony, and death. Maybe some of you right now are in a time of confusion, the Saturday of your life. Confusion. You may be experiencing this a long time alongside great stuff, but other parts of your life are living in this. Hopefully, quickly, You'll pass through these days to get to the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He rose again. So there's three questions I want to answer today. This is what I want to answer for you today. What do I do in my days of pain? What do I do? What do I do in my days of pain? Second question, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And thirdly, how do I get to my celebration and victory? Is that good? I think we want to do that. So I'm going to, no, I won't do that. I'll read a scripture. Let me read this verse, Matthew 26, 36 to 39. It said, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Everyone say Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter, two sons of Zebedee, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, to the point of death means he was thinking of taking his own life. That's what he was saying. He was so, so, so stressed. In the book of John, I think he sweated blood, it said. But it said he was so sorrowful to the point of death. You know, you could even be in this room and think, I don't want to live life anymore. This is where Jesus was at. Because he's been tempted in every way you have. So he was tempted to take his own life. But he said, I'm so overwhelmed. Stay here and keep watch over me. The first thing, what do I do in my days of pain? The first thing Jesus did here was he reached out to his friends. Do you see that? He said to them, come along with me. You know, one thing I find in places of pain, I've done it in myself, you've probably done it in your own life, when it gets hard, we tend to isolate ourselves. Would that be a fair call? Yeah, isolate ourselves. In Proverbs, it says this, it says, says, a man who isolates himself rages against all wise counsel. We isolate. And yet the Bible says we're to weep with those who weep, laugh with those who laugh. You know, Jesus was honest with, with them. He, he, didn't, he didn't sugarcoat it. He actually pulled them aside, these three. He pulled them inside and he says, I feel like dying. 
He was honest. He was straight up. In Galatians 6.2, it says that we are to carry each other's burdens, and in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. You'll fulfill it. Not by isolating yourself. Not by sitting in your own little bubble. No, 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 by bringing people around us. The law of Christ is the love. Your neighbor is yourself. A problem shared is often a problem halved. It can very much be that way. The second thing you do in the Fridays of your life, the second thing Jesus did was he reached out to God. You do this by praying. I'm sorry, if this is a simple message, I'm sorry. But the cross is so simple. He prayed. Here we have. He advanced a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible. So he had these two with him and he, he stumbles. He was so stressed. He said, Abba. Abba is like an intimate term. It's like saying daddy, daddy, papa. It's like a child coming to the feet of their dad. Abba, father, Abba. It's not that band from Norway. Norway. You know, it's not that. That's not what that's saying. All things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me, but not what I will, but yours be done. You know, he prayed. You know, it's important that you are open to God with what you need in prayer. There's something that I'd add to my life occasionally when I'm in places of deep pain. It's what I call the Gethsemane prayer. Jesus prayed this. The first thing he did in the Gethsemane prayer is he affirmed God's power. Look at it there. All things are possible for you. In his place of pain, he acknowledged God for his place of power. How many of us come before God in our place of pain and and just start to just dump our stuff? No, Jesus started by acknowledging his father and said, Nothing is impossible. All things are possible for you. So he affirmed God's power. The second thing, you express your desire. He said to them, if this can be taken from me. Oh, tell him. But even though it couldn't be taken, he says, not my will, but yours be done. What's he saying? In that statement, he's saying, I trust you. I trust you, God. I trust you. Trust. Even in the greatest of pain, when all confusion is there, when he knows what he has to face, do you still trust God? Or just keep throwing it back at him every time. This ain't working, this, this, this. It's like, no. At some point, you have to trust that God is in control. Amen? Maybe you lost faith. Has pain ever moved you from God rather than to God? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Has it ever moved you from God, not to God? You know, someone asked me once time, I went through a very hard time, but I, I remember someone said, oh, have you ever not believed in God? Like you, you know? And I said to this guy who asked me this question, I was working with him, and I said, well, no, I said, I... Uh, not so much. I said, I, I, I believe in God, but there are times that I've doubted. I've doubted his wisdom and I've doubted his timing. I had doubted his wisdom and I've doubted his timing. And so how, well, I had to repent of that later on, of course, especially when I came out the other side and that's when you see where God was at work in you. You know, 
Something I learned is this, never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Don't let your days of weakness cause doubt that overshadow what God said to you in your strong days. You know, we, we have to remember what God said to you when everything was good, when you were at your best and you go, oh, yes, God, this is happening. Yes, 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 yes. Take that job. Do this. All these things. And then you, you make the transition to what God says for you to do and all heaven breaks loose. I was going to say all hell, but it's not because when God is working in your life, it doesn't always feel like a heavenly thing. What happens is what did he say to you when you were at your strong point? Because that hasn't changed. Jesus knew he had to face the cross. In his strong point, he knew he had to face it. And yet when he's outworking his calling, what God is calling him to, he's wanting to take his own life. Did you notice that? The Saturdays of your life are about confusion and doubt. Never doubt what God told you in your times of strength. Never doubt his promises. Jesus tells his disciples in the light what will happen in the dark. Look at this. He said, this is before he went to the cross. He's sitting down his disciples, and this had been done several times. He said, in a little while, you shall not see me again. In a little while, you shall see me because I go to the Father. A little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. He's telling these disciples, well, Peter's declaring his, and got this whip in his mouth saying, you will not do these things, and I will never deny you. He's strong. He feels, man, we're going to take on the world. But what happens is, when the world starts taking on Jesus, what appears that way, Peter's true heart comes out. And sometimes you need to face the Gethsemanes of your life to reveal what's really going on in your heart, really going on in your life, so it can be purged, so it can come out. I'm sorry, this is not an ear-tickling message today. Sometimes you need to face some great challenge. Not every day, not every week, but there'll be pops and times that come through, and you'll totally witness with this when you, you walk in it, and you'll suddenly go, man, I had to go through this so that God could actually get this out of my life? How could he get the denial of Peter out of denial's heart unless he actually could put Peter in the place of actually denying? How could he do it? Because Peter didn't believe him. When he said, you will deny me three times, he goes, no, I won't. Not at all. Well, I won't do that. But you see, when you're put in the pressure pot, now what's in your heart is revealed. And it's not to bring you down, it's to raise you up. So God has to sometimes put us on these Gethsemane places. It's, it's only a doorway to walk through. It's not meant to be a living room for you to live in. Jesus was, this was a three-day process. You know, one thing we have to be aware of is this was all a plan. And you can't see it on the day of your pain, the day of confusion, but on the other side you can. Did you know that there are 7,000 promises of God written for your life. Did you know that? 7,000. I want to tell you, when you don't know what the promises of God are over your life for something, you know what happens? When you lose your promises, you worry. That's it. You worry. But because you lose sight of what He can do in your life, and you make it all about you. You make it about me. I, I, I do this. 
when we lose sight of our promises of God, we start to worry. It's an indicator we've lost his promises. And it limits him. When you worry and stew, you make it all about you or me. This limits him from making it all about him through your situation. I I can remember um, quite recently going through a very serious um, problem in a workplace. I won't go into details. You you, you don't really need to hear it. I, I, I was so incredibly, incredibly stressed, incredibly stressed. It was, it was tearing me apart, actually. It was so, so hard. So hard. At the same time, our church was being torn apart. Um, it was just so very, very hard. Um, out of this time, there was also a very serious medical matter that came up. And I can remember um, being in this place of great turmoil um, and, and, and greatly struggling. And it was that time I remembered the promises of God over my life that my God will get me through this. I just kept holding on to it and following that Gethsemane prayer principle. Just two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, we had a very serious matter in my workplace where there was a $200,000 damage happened in our freezer. $200,000. Someone made a mistake and I was the guy, I'm the guy managing the site. Whose problem? My problem. When you're a manager, you have a t-shirt on that says it's my fault. When you're a parent, you have the same t-shirt on. You take responsibility, take ownership. And I can remember sweating this out, going, oh, my Lord, God, 200,000. <laughs> and do you know what I did? First thing I did was I prayed. But I went straight to our insurance manual, straight to the insurance manual, and I read and I found the policy that covered us from this damage. And you say, God has given you this owner's manual called a Bible, an owner's manual that you're meant to refer to, that you're meant to go to. It says in Isaiah, when you're going through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, and your Savior. He is my insurance policy. So how do I get from your Friday and your Saturday to your Sunday? The only way you can get through your Fridays, your pain, your trouble, your doubt, your confusion, well, simply it's with a Savior. You rely on Jesus. Honestly, I don't know how many times I've forgotten that over the years. How many times I've forgotten it. How many times I'd go to an evangelistic conference to preach and realize the evangelists had made it all about their connection method and they sort of forgot about Jesus. You can't get there on your own. The disciples were destitute. They were broken beyond anything they had ever experienced. But when they saw Jesus, it says when they saw him, they had heard about it, they doubted. When the woman came back and said, he's gone, this angel was there, they said they just didn't believe it. Doubting Thomas, he's called, which is an unfair name, he just said, I will not believe unless I can place my hand on his side and see the nail marks on his palms of his hands. But when they saw him, instantly they were filled with joy and fear left them. When your life has turned to ashes, when, you, you, when your life has fallen apart, when you've reached a chaotic state of conflict, you cannot resurrect yourself. You need a savior. That's what you need. You couldn't do it yourself. If you could, then you would never, Jesus would have never had to have died. If you could do it yourself, you, why would he even need to have come to earth? I'm nearly done. Maybe the music team could come back up. 
So to get through the most challenging days of your life to that resurrection day, there are three things. You're going to have to reach out to Jesus. You're going to have to remember and declare the promises of Jesus over your life. That includes remembering what he said to you in your strong times so that when you're going through your Fridays and Saturdays, you can declare those out. Sometimes what happens, you'll get an inundation of prophecies or words and you won't know what to do with them until you hit your challenging time and you need to read those out to yourself. I carry my prophecies in pretty much wherever I go. They're here. They're always in my car. I carry my prophetic words. I carry my Bible, and these are my prophetic words from the last 15 years. You know that? All in here. Oh, look at them. Nice thick ones there. Because I need to remind myself of the promises of God. And you're going to have to rely on the power of Jesus. Amen? Trust again. Relying on the power of Jesus, just trusting him, saying, I trust you. I've got my pain out. I've told you what I need. I now trust you. Thanks, Brad. You can start playing. John eleven twenty five 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, they will live again. I give eternal life for believing in me, and they will never perish. You see, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. This is meaning this, he's not a principle. He's not just handing out some trinkets of philosophy on a mountaintop like some guru. He is a person. It's not about religion or rituals. You actually need relationship with Jesus. You need relationship with him. Ephesians 1, 19 to 20 says, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. It's the same and mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. If God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead business. If God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead relationship. If God can raise a dead body, he can raise a broken and distraught mind that is battling against you. Jesus said in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. We must say, if we're going through a tough time, then if I must go through this, God, if I must, then I will follow you. If this is something I have to walk through, then I choose you. You know, um, maybe just turn the lights down as we pray and finish up this morning. I had this. I found this clip on. Um, I found this on um, YouTube. Someone sent it to me or linked it to me. That uh, was my wife. That's it. <laughs> yeah, someone. My wife. I totally forgot, totally forgot. It says, yes, you're broken, but that's okay. You're now ready to be used. And there's two broken eggs. I mean, if you want to make an omelet, you've got to break an egg. You know, it's the old saying, but it is so true. It's such a perfect picture of Christ, isn't it? At your most broken, you're now at your most unbelievable, fruitful place that you've ever been in your whole life. You're now ready to be used. It's such an impossible paradigm to actually believe and understand. But there's something, maybe we could put that first slide back on of the, I just want to finish on this this morning. Because this is Easter message this morning. He is, he is risen. There's an interesting thing about this picture I want you to realize that we must also remember as Christians. I had to go through like about 30 or 40 different pictures to get this one because all the other pictures, 
you see the cloth that's folded up? All the other ones had some, for some reason, strewn this cloth like to make it look like a flowing wave of water or hung it on a hook or something. But it says in the Bible that the garment that wrapped him was folded and put to one side. Do you know why that's like that? You see, in Jewish tradition, when you have a meal, when you've had enough, you screw up your, your napkin and you, you throw it down. And that lets the servant know that you've had enough. Oh, thank you. Yep, I'll take that away. But if you haven't had enough and you're going to come back for more, you fold your, your napkin at the meal and you place it beside your plate. And in doing that, it tells the servant that he is coming back for more. And so we have this picture, do not forget what Jesus did on the cross for you to raise the dead things of your life to life. To all he's given you, the Spirit poured out, but also in that declaration of folding his garment, he was saying, I'll be back. <laughs> I think the anointing just left. <laughs> I'll be back. I will be back. It made it into the Bible. It's written there. 